from South Carolina Public Radio. This is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on February 5th, 2024 from Meg's Mercedes-Benz. Mm, sponsored. In this episode, I talk with friend of the pod, AP National Politics reporter Meg Kennard about the South Carolina first-in-the-nation Democratic presidential primary that President Joe Biden handedly won on Saturday. And we look at the latest on the Republican trail as we follow former Governor Nikki Haley around the state and expect to see former President Donald Trump visit this week. What it all means. All that and more on this podcast, which is fueled by Celsius, European luxury vehicles, and your calls at 803-563-7169. Meg is stifling laughter in the, in the front seat here. Uh, we're trying to cut this on the road. So as you can tell, you'll hear us chatting in our uh, the entirety of this podcast. But we also want to hear you. Give us a shout, 803-563-7169. And you can always find more information, reporting, and stories at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and SCETV.org slash SC2024, your home for campaign 2024 coverage. in Meg's car here at the University of South Carolina Aiken campus in the parking lot. Yay! It's not really how we plan to do the pod today, but you know, SC2024 calls Meg. You luckily always answer. I do what I can for the people. And we're glad that you're here. Meg, I want to first start off before we start talking a little bit about Nikki Haley and the Republican presidential primary. Uh, looking back at what we saw over the weekend with the Democrats, right? So we saw about 126,000 folks turn out to vote for Joe Biden. He had 96% of the vote. Uh, there was also Congressman Dean Phillips. We don't want to forget about the other people in this race. These That's people, right. uh, Dean Phillips, who got 2,200 votes. Uh, and Marion Williamson, who edged him out by 500 more votes. She was also on the ballot in South Carolina. But this, of course, like we've been talking about for weeks, almost to the point of nauseam, because it was Joe Biden's, obviously, he's the incumbent. He is the party leader of the Democrats. And this primary was pretty much a thank you for what South Carolina did back in 2020. That's definitely what this was. There was no question that Joe Biden was going to win this. We were just wondering exactly what those margins would be. And let's also put this in the context of the fact that when there is an incumbent president who is running again, oftentimes both Republicans and Democrats will cancel that primary. Democrats have done it. Republicans have done it. But as you point out, this was a thank you to the state of South Carolina for giving Joe Biden that big victory in the 2020 Democrat primary. And as expected, he overperformed. He got out big numbers, despite there were other two people on the on the ballot with him. But this was a show of support to the state that really put him on the path to the nomination four years ago. Yeah. And I, I was talking to the executive director of the party, Jay Parmalee, and he was, I was like, you know, does this put to rest all that discussion about, uh, you know, the enthusiasm for Biden? Obviously, it's kind of hard, Meg, to kind of uh, compare this, these results to anything that we've seen in the past, because in 2012, for example, we did have Obama was the incumbent, but there was no primary, right? So this again right. was South Carolina trying to get its foot in the door, looking ahead to 2028 and elsewhere, because we did do what we did for the incumbent back in 2020. So Jay was like, yes, I think this kind of does put to rest all that discussion about enthusiasm. Obviously, we're going to see more states going forward. And then, of course, the bigger question will be like, 
you know, the general mm-hmm. election itself. But this is the beginning of that progression of the campaign for the Democrats. Definitely. South Carolina kicks it off this time. And another thing that party chairwoman Crystal Spain pointed out on Saturday morning at a news conference I went to with her and with DNC chairman Jamie Harrison, also a South Carolina native and resident, that South Carolina has never kicked it off before. So they were dealing with this unprecedented situation, usually not holding an incumbent party primary coupled with the fact this is South Carolina going first. So that was in response to questions from me and other reporters about how, what are you going to deal with in terms of turnout? What are you looking for? How many people is it really going to need? You know, do you need to, to show up for this primary for you to feel satisfied that you've gotten the message out? And they were quick to point to the 115 events that they held in the weeks leading up to the primary, bringing all kinds of high-level surrogates. And Jamie pointing out that for the month of January, there wasn't a week that went by that either the president, the vice president, or one of their spouses were in the state. So that kind of goes toward everything they were saying about taking it seriously with South Carolina and despite what anybody would have said about how many people were or weren't showing up. Yeah, and I want to play a clip from Jay Parmley for y'all really quick, too. We were picked to go first because our voters give a damn, and our voters have turned out repeatedly, and we picked presidents. And we have demonstrated through all of this activity and through our strong early vote numbers that we were damn well deserving of this and that our voters are enthusiastic and energized. And if I could... When you go first, there's nothing else to compare it to. So I, I can't give you a number. No one's been able to give us a number. Uh, there's, there's no even like election to compare it to. Um, but yeah, Meg, you were talking about uh, some of the high-level VP, the high-level VPs coming through from the Democratic Party, and we did see Kamala Harris the day before at HBCU, Jim Clyburn's alma mater, South Carolina State University in Orangeburg. And she had, you know, it was, again, part of this get out the vote tour that they were doing, the first of the nation tour in South Carolina. And she mentioned how Biden and them have lowered drug costs, created opportunities, created jobs, 14 and a half million jobs, also increased wages as well. But it was interesting because she kind of posed a question that made me really think of some things that we've been hearing from Nikki Haley on the stump, too. She said, in this election, each one of us, we face a question, what kind of country do we want to live in? She mentioned, do we want to live in a country of liberty, freedom, and the rule of law, or a country of disorder, fear, and hate? We face a choice, cruelty or compassion, chaos or competence, division or unity. And she kind of tasked folks with saying, tomorrow, primary day, Saturday, is your chance to kind of make your voice heard in that race. But when you're talking about chaos versus competence... That sounds like that could have came from Nikki Haley on the stump. I was just thinking. We've just been listening to her today, and that is a lot of the argument that she makes. It is interesting that, obviously, she's facing off with Donald Trump right now in the primary. President Biden and Vice President Harris are planning on facing him in the general election, but it's the same kind of argument of, well, we, the incumbents, we, the Democratic incumbents, we offer you stability. We've accomplished these things. We would just like four more years to continue that. Whereas Nikki Haley and the Republicans before her who've left the GOP primary were saying a lot of similar things about Donald Trump is a disruptor. We don't need to bring him back. We don't need to keep the Democrats, but I offer you another option. But yeah, at this point, a lot of that messaging does sound very similar. Meg, when we keep with the Republican campaign trail, we expect to see President Donald Trump, former President Trump, in town this weekend uh, somewhere in the Ori, Myrtle Beach area. Uh, Still waiting for confirmation on that, but that would be his first time in the state. We just heard Nikki Haley talking on the stump here about how he hasn't been here yet. He hasn't been spending as much money on the airwaves here because she says he's spending that money on his legal fees. Do you think that's going to maybe 
register more with folks when it comes to how much he's dedicating to the state? Do you think people care about seeing him here anyway, or is he just going to go on his popularity alone like he's like he did in Iowa and New Hampshire? Obviously, he made more appearances there, and we expect to see him more here. We have three weeks, less than three weeks. So um, does he need to get out the vote like she is doing, or can he kind of rest on his laurels in a sense? We heard a lot of that messaging about the top of the ticket candidate not being in South Carolina leading up to the Democratic primary. And Joe Biden just notched more than 96 percent. Granted, that wasn't as competitive of a contest as the as the Republican primary will be here. But certainly, I think when you are former President Trump and you're thinking about the deep support that you do have in South Carolina, not just the high level surrogates and endorsements that he has here, but also that just constant visiting and constant kind of touching the state that he has done since the 2016 campaign, going all the way back then through his presidency to now, I think he feels very confident at the levels of support that he has here. Whereas for Nikki Haley, she is not only reminding people of her tenor as governor and everything she did tacked onto that, her service as U.N. ambassador in the Trump administration. But to a lot of South Carolinians, she is introducing herself because, as we've talked about before, a lot of people have moved into this state. These are Mm -hmm. new residents. These are people who weren't here when she was governor. And so, yes, sure, they're maybe familiar with her, but they're not as well versed in her accomplishments that she does tout on the campaign trail. So it's kind of like she has to do a bunch of different messaging all at once. And she's also doing fundraising swings and she's also going to be going to California this week, a Super Tuesday state Mm -hmm. to fundraise and a campaign. We've also seen her, uh, you know, she did her Daniel Island event on Sunday. She had about 1,200 folks there. We just came from an event here in Aiken with 700 folks. So again, she has the money going on right now. She still has people packing rooms to see her, uh, even in the middle of the day. And then also, I mean, still that momentum. We heard from her campaign manager, Betsy, Betsy Ankney, I think it was her last name. Yeah. And they were talking about the $16.5 million that they raised in January alone. Compare that to the fourth quarter of 2023 with $24 million. Uh, pretty strong numbers. But, Meg, it's kind of fascinating because, you know, where does that money go? They haven't done any Super Tuesday ad buys yet. They have a $4 million ad buy up here in South Carolina. Um, what, what do you see her using that money for? And are we going to maybe start seeing more nationwide advertising going on, you think? I would imagine that we're going to. One of the things that Nikki Haley has long talked about is the fact that she is an accountant, that she is tight with her money, she's smart with her spending. And so that is how she's run this campaign. And so far, when the fundraising was not as plentiful as it is now, that does seem to have at least been something they've stuck to in the fact that they are still here and have managed to stretch dollars and fly commercial and do all the things that she often talks about. But there is going to have to be some sort of build out into that ground game, not just advertising, but also picking up staffers and people and organization in these other states if it if her campaign does go beyond South Carolina. So that is absolutely something that they're going to need to start spending money on or otherwise, all of a sudden, if she does decide to stick it in through South Carolina, if the campaign feels that they have enough money going forward, but they haven't built out kind of ahead of that, then people won't know really who she is, or at least those states won't feel like the campaign has really reached out and done the things and laid the groundwork that once you get to Super Tuesday, with the number of delegates that are at stake, Mm -hmm. the math kind of is the math at that point. And so that could be a a big turning point if she does get there and doesn't have that build out kind of ahead of her. And we didn't really get any clarity on that 
this fundraising call this morning talking to her campaign manager about what they thought of the turnout for the Democrats, right? So the Democrats, it was about 131,000 folks voted uh, in that in that primary with Joe Biden. We heard from a lot of people uh, secondhand, essentially, saying that a lot of folks didn't turn out because it was so obvious or they weren't motivated or maybe they didn't know what was going on. But now that shows that there's about maybe half or there's about 400,000 voters difference between who voted in the 2020 primary versus this 2024 primary. So those are voters that could vote in the Republican primary if we just use that simple math. Um, Again, we have open primaries in South Carolina, so we don't register by party. If you didn't vote in the Democratic primary, you could vote in the Republican primary on February 24th. So do you think maybe they're they're hoping there's some silver lining there, Meg? Can they read into that? I know they're not really trying to be like, we want the Democrats, but they want everybody. But that's still a lot of folks left on the table there. Right. And that is messaging that we've heard. There are different groups that are trying to encourage Democratic voters to stay home this past Saturday and hold on for February 24th for the Republicans. It is very unknown how effective any of that is or if there are any Democrats who are thusly motivated to cast a vote for a Republican just to cast a vote against Donald Trump. I I really don't have a lot of faith that that will be a big disruptor in the way that some people are kind of hoping it would be. But it is possible for people to wake up on any given Saturday of a primary cycle and say, I want to vote in this or that Republican or Democratic primary. It is important also to remember, though, that this was a big discussion in New Hampshire where independent voters can participate in either primary. And a lot of them were interviewed and talked about, and it was kind of their decisions that, you know, swung sort of some of the calculus between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley's campaigns in those results. That's not as big of a deal here. Obviously, we don't have, quote unquote, independent voters. Kind of everyone could be an independent since there is no party registration. But that whole notion that was a big part of the New Hampshire Republican primary just really doesn't have as much of a home here in South Carolina. There is no track record for that. Mm -hmm. And again, the the open primary is something that they're pointing at for Super Tuesday states. 11 out of 16 Super Tuesday states are open primaries. So I'm sure that's part of their pitch to donors. And again, her pitch is, I am the last one standing between the inevitability of Donald Trump going up against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and her statement saying that he would lose if that's the case over and over again. That is her general electability argument. She's making this so Republicans essentially own this should they lose come November. It's a really sexy storyline to go down that pathway and to think about the what ifs and all these people and these swing voters and crossovers and everything. It's just, I mean, this is South Carolina. I don't know about other states and how that could or couldn't play out in Super Tuesday, but there's just not a, a long history of those kinds of things really happening in big numbers here so as to make a big difference in the ultimate result well meg thank you as always let's get on the road absolutely let's go uh let's go <laughs> to the Spartanburg. upstate yay thanks Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We're glad you're here. A.T. Shire, producer of the pod, is not here with us. I'm taping this entire episode by myself because it's, I'm a grown up. My father gave me this podcast. I can do what I want. But I'm joined with Meg Kennard. She is driving her luxury sports utility vehicle right now. Uh, And I'm going to ask her a series of questions, which I don't even know what they are yet, but we're going to go. This will be our wind down section. We'll get to some of the calls next episode. But Meg, thanks for driving for us. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Thanks for doing this pod. Tell me what you think so far about driving the back roads of Aiken, South Carolina. 
Well, first off, you know, thank you for having me. It is really my honor and pleasure as uh, the Associated Press national politics reporter here in South Carolina to really just do whatever I can for our members. And so if that is taping the wind down while I drive through uh, Aiken. While I breathe, I hope. <laughs> while I breathe, I hope. While I breathe, I vote, according to <laughs> yeah, yes! Harrison. Um, but if it's that, if it's driving you around, if it's making sure we have Celsius and cheese sticks, I mean, I'm happy to do all of it. I am really enjoying the speed limit of 40 or 45 yes. right here. Um, I think we're going to be on an interstate soon, so that will be a little bit more efficient. But I really am also looking forward to just seeing some of South Carolina's lovely sights and experiencing a little bit of Americana. Yeah, we never really get to drive this part of the state. You know, it's usually like 26 from like Columbia to Greenville to Charleston, all the boring stuff. But now we are out and about with the people. It's it's quite interesting. It's so lovely. So many scenic views, so many different gas station vistas. Um, <laughs> Have we, so we've also, we should probably announce this now, speaking of Celsius, Celsii, uh, our energy drink that gives us the go that we'd love a sponsorship from. Yes. Uh, we've decided on the spur of the moment here that we're going to try all the Celsius flavors on the campaign trail leading up to February 24th, GOP primary day. Meg, what made you think that would be a good idea? First off, trying to get that sponsorship, but uh, also, you know, it's just fun to have a little bit of a, not a competition, but just something kind of just to check off. Remember when the lead used to have our little starboard yeah. and there were those gold stars and I was so proud of the day that I overtook Jamie Lovegrove and acquired the most stars. And it's not that I'm looking for praise on my Celsius journey, but it's kind of just, it's kind of just along those same lines. Like I, I'm a checklist person and I really like to have a goal and this helps me accomplish that. I will say you were like OG Celsius stand number one. And I was like, this was years ago. I mean, you were, you were yeah. popping it. And I was like, eh, I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. 20, 2020, 2021. It's like how I survived the pandemic was just fueled by Celsius. So I'm an OG for sure. And now I'm like, Oh, this is cool. But like, I don't think, I think it's a little hype. I think we just like it because it's not as insane as like a Red Bull or a whatever energy drink. It's just like a little, little go-go for us. It's just, as my, as my 12 year old Adair told me, it's aesthetic. Oh, she's on the, she's on the cell. She and Hannah, who is 17, are both on the Celsius train, albeit in moderation because they are children. Yes. But she explained it to me that this is what the cool girls do now. So we are cool girls. God, we've been dying to be cool it's, girls. It's aesthetic and it's just in and it's not a Stanley Cup. So I'm oh, here for it. Gosh, we are not Stanley fans in this vehicle, in this family, in this podcast house. <laughs> this podcast family. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so far, I guess we've done, I mean, we've done a couple individually. I think now we'll be doing more. Uh, group. We're, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be coordinated. Yeah, we're gonna have um, our you know joint checklist. We just did the mandarin marshmallow one because our friend Mary Green, uh, it's her favorite, and so we were always yeah. like, oh, I don't know what that's like, and it was just like an orange creamsicle. So ten out of ten, not bad. Yeah, it was tasty. It was one of the sparkling ones, which are our faves, and I didn't have anything negative to say about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a ten out of ten. Yeah, my favorite is just the orange sparkling one. I've done the watermelon. It's okay. The peach watermelon guava. Is, okay. is all right. Peach vibes, I think, is great. And I think you are going to be able to experience yes. Arctic blast Arctic, for the first time. Arctic, Arctic vibe. Oh, Arctic Everything vibes. <laughs> blast. I don't know what Arctic blast is. Probably the Gatorade blue that no one knows the yeah. actual names from. I think I just told you that this one just tastes like an iceberg. <laughs> or glacier. <laughs> and Meg would know Meg has actually <laughs> sampled glaciers before. Glaciai. Exclusive. 
you know, it's just, I feel like we're like in the vitamin water phase, you know, like when vitamin water first came out, everyone's like, oh, it's just sugar water. Yeah. We're going to find out in 10 years that we should not have been drinking. Yes. Like everyone's gonna be on this Ozempic thing. 10 years from now, they're like, I don't know if you should have been on Ozempic. Get back on Fen Fen. Ooh, Fen Fen, the good old days. The hummingbird heart, if you will. (laughs) Well, I think we've talked enough. Uh, but we'll definitely be doing this again. I, I foresee this in our future that we'll be in the car again somewhere and we'll give you a review of either some sort of Chex Mix or Combo and or Celsius. So stay tuned, folks. Thanks, Meg. Can't wait. Thanks for listening to the pod, y'all. You can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a shout, 803-563-7169. Tell us what energy drink gets you going in the morning, whether that's a large Dunkin' Original Blend with four creams and four sugars. <laughs> Or if it's just uh, your favorite Celsius, we want to know. 803-563-7169. We love hearing from you guys. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I'm scared about, like, how book we're going to, like, in 10 years, we're like, we're sorry that we advocated for Celsius. Are you well? (laughs)